This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to getbrewninja.com and using the code BREWNINJA21. They're harvested around the same time as hops in September. The production has grown dramatically since 2010. In fact, some farms are very proud to offer hazelnuts and hops. This week on the show, what happens when an allergen is grown on the farm next door? Hi, my name is Wade Begro, and I'm with Founders Brewing Company. So, Wade, why am I talking to a microbiologist about allergens? You know, John, that's a great question. And me personally, I'm very fortunate that I don't have any food sensitivities, but allergens are a major problem for um, certain populations, certain people. And for example, in the U.S., about 4% of adults and 8% of children have uh, problems with sensitivities to food. And as brewers, we don't really look at allergens too much. We are interested in, you know, gluten and and wheat and soy maybe, but um, there are a big list of allergens that um, can cause problems for people. Yeah, I'm also lucky enough to have never had a severe allergic reaction, unlike my mother-in-law who developed a bad allergy to rosemary out of nowhere a few years ago. Um, Maybe could you describe what exactly is an allergic reaction? What happens to Maureen when somebody feeds her rosemary by mistake? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm so sorry to, to hear about her. That's a, a bummer. What happens generally, and um, I'll generally just talk about a type 1 uh, reaction here. That's when an allergen uh, enters the body, and usually it's a, a protein, and um, IgE antibodies from uh, the consumer will bind to that allergen. Generally, it's because it's been um, sensitized to it, it's ready. Um, Then when, after it binds to the allergen, then the immune system will release antibodies. And generally, that's followed with histamine and uh, an inflammatory response. And um, some of the problems can be very bad. There can be a swelling of the throat or um, 
hives, um, but uh, it generally involves an allergen entering the body and an immune response. What are some common allergens and why does that list vary by country? So in the U.S., um, generally the big ones are egg, fish, uh, milk and dairy, peanut, sesame, shellfish, soy, tree nuts, wheat, and sulfites. And in the EU um, and in other parts of the world, they have slightly different ones. Generally, that's because of um, just the population. Certain populations are more sensitive to different allergens than others. And one example is uh, in the EU, celery is listed as one of the major allergens where it's not um, as much of a concern here in the U.S. You're here to talk about some work you've done in regards to tree nuts. Tell us why that's relevant to brewing. Why should any brewer keep listening? That's a great question, John. And before this kind of landed in my lap, I really did not know that hazelnuts and hops are grown in um, some of the same areas or same regions. In fact, um, most of the U.S. production comes from the state of Oregon for hazelnuts. And we, as we all know, most of our hops come from the Pacific Northwest as well. I did some more research and um, hazelnut uh, that's the state nut of Oregon. Um, they're very popular. They're harvested around the same time as hops in September. Um, the production has grown dramatically since 2010, um, just like hops. And uh, for hazelnuts in Oregon in 2021, uh, they produced over 77,000 tons. Because they're um, grown so closely, harvested um, in the same time window, there may be the potential for cross-contamination, whether it's airborne cross-contamination, contamination of um, workers who are um, helping with the harvest, or maybe even the uh, handling, conveyance, the transportation. Uh, there's certainly some opportunity for cross-contamination. So, um as a uh, someone who's been in the brewing industry for uh, for some time, not too too long, it still was a surprise to hear of the potential for cross contamination with hazelnuts and hops. Most listeners can't see it right now, but describe what they'll see if they go to masterbrewerspodcast dot com and find the image associated with this episode. What you'll see is um, just how close some of the hazelnut fields are to hop fields. This is a picture that I took from Google Earth. This was just research that I did on my own, and I wanted to see where some of the hazelnut farms were and to see where some of the hop farms were. In fact, some farms are very proud to offer hazelnuts and hops. Um, you know, they're both both very popular crops in the state and grow very well. But what I did was I used uh, PowerPoint to overlay different colors to show just how close they are. You can even look at the Google Street View um, and sort of traverse around the farms. And it's very clear where the hops are. They have a very distinctive um, setup and the hazelnut trees uh, stand out too. Okay. Wade, how did all this get on your radar in the first place? Were you just sitting around looking for things to worry about, or was there some kind of uh-oh moment? That's a great question, John. 
First of all, I'd like to um, give a shout out to Alec Mull. He's one of my um, colleagues here at Founders and has been a great mentor and uh, has helped with this particular project. Alec is a member of the Hop Quality Group and uh, a little plug for the Hop Quality Group. They're a group of over 50 brewery members. It was um, founded over 10 years ago and they work closely with farmers, uh, processors, and brokers to try to um, keep the quality of hops um, top-notch because after all hops are food and they go directly in to the beer. So Alec um, came to me just after Thanksgiving in 2021 and he told me that one of uh, the hop processors that we were utilizing to pelletize some crystal hops had found a hazelnut in one of the quote-unquote heavy sorters and that's a um, a sorter that's used after the hop bales are broken prior to going to the hammer mill. And it's used to get any um, foreign objects out of the bales. Usually it's rocks, so it might be called a a rock trap. But um, the rock trap or the, the heavy trap is periodically checked throughout processing. And it was abnormal to see a whole hazelnut that made it there. Um, this uh, particular lot of hops or this run of hops was a combination of some hops from Oregon, but also there were other hops um, from out of state too. So it was a big blend that um, Founders was putting together. So um, Alec said, that's pretty out of the ordinary. Let's take a closer look. Let's continue the run. Keep looking for um, hazelnuts. And if um, we see anything, please let us know very quickly. We had the run tested for hazelnut allergens with a third party lab. Because um, hazelnuts aren't uncommon in the region, uh, it has been detected before. And usually, what hop processors will do um, is send testing out to a third-party lab or reject the lot and send it back to the the grower. Um, So what happened afterwards is the first test from the third-party lab came back positive for hazelnut allergens. And it was a very, very low level. Um, They're measured in PPM. And the first test came back at 2.4 ppm, which is a very, very low level, but is still notable. Um, we decided to look into another portion of the run. Um, this is a great processor that communicated very well with us and had um, samples pretty much from throughout the run. And we sent some more, and um, the second test came back about the same. So we were kind of in a, a bind. We wanted to learn more about what the potential was for hazelnut allergens um, in hops. And so we talked to a university that was uh, well-versed in allergen testing. We learned a little bit about um, the routine tests that are performed for allergens in the United States. And the most common uh, testing scheme is an ELISA test, enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay. And what that does is um, it's a very, very sensitive test, but it um, looks for proteins uh, of the allergen and will give a a positive there. The problem is that there are, um, there's the potential for false positives and false negatives with the ELISA test. Um, A lot of work 
in hazelnut allergen testing has been done has been done on dark chocolate. And dark chocolate is a very difficult matrix to test for allergens. But it's important to be able to test for tree nuts in dark chocolate because sometimes they are incorporated, sometimes they're not. Well, dark chocolate is a very difficult matrix because it has a lot of oils, fats, polyphenols, uh, things that can cause problems for the assay. Um, we uh, continue to work with the um, the the experts, and we're really kind of having some trouble with the test. We decided to send a lot of hops from Washington State that was very, very far away from hazelnut production. We were confident that it did not have any trace of hazelnuts in there, and that tested um, about the same as uh, the lot in question. So we were really uh, at a in kind of a a tough spot where we weren't used to um, seeing this type of result, but it was really the first time that we had dealt with it. And that that was also an ELISA method that uh, on that that other one that came back as well. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, you've told us a little bit about the ELISA method. Why don't you um, mention the other alternative? Sure. I love talking about PCR because um, I've used it in the brewing industry for for years, but also um, PCR has really changed the world with COVID testing. Uh, it's done all sorts of things. It's really changed, changed. Everybody's heard of it now. Changed the world. Yep. And I love talking about PCR because everybody knows about it with COVID. Well, um, just like with detecting COVID, PCR can be utilized to look for DNA from the hazelnut tree or from the hazelnut plant. In contrast with the ELISA test that's looking for protein, this is looking for uh, DNA. And um, I'm well-versed in that for looking for wild yeast and bacteria in the brewing industry. So I was able to um, use my skills to find um, a commercially available PCR kit that detected the hazelnut tree DNA. This one is available um, for purchase in the U.S., but as far as I know, it wasn't offered by a third-party lab for testing. So I worked with the manufacturer of the kit, um, and we were able to get um, some of the tests in, and also we were able to get some ELISA tests in. I thought it would be a great uh, test to look at not only the lot in question, but also some hops and um, from different stages, loose leaf hops, uh, pelletized hops, hop extract, and spike those matrices with hazelnut um, dust or, or protein. Um, and there is a third, or there are two other tests that I did not look at, but they're also available. One is lateral flow, and that's very similar to the rapid COVID tests that we're used to. Um, it's less uh, sensitive, but uh, can also be be used. Uh, the fourth and probably the most um, technical and com complex and expensive test is using a mass spec to um, actually look at those those proteins yeah out of reach for most people for sure yep coming up in fact i just uh, learned that there was a hazelnut beer recall in europe not too long ago just a couple weeks ago 
I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. Sponsored by CanCraft and BSG. Need cans? CanCraft has you covered. Get blank, sleeved, and printed aluminum beverage. Low minimums plus full service support from design through delivery. No matter the size of your business, CanCraft's design and aluminum specialists are here to guide you every step of the way. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com backslash CanCraft for your complete packaging solution. Are you looking to diversify your portfolio to include non-alcoholic beer or hard seltzer? You can do both with Alpha Laval's low-alk and de-alk technologies. Whether through membrane filtration or vacuum stripping, Alpha Laval's innovative solutions are designed to provide gentle and efficient treatment of your beer, cider, hard seltzer, or other beverages so your customers can experience the best that your brand has to offer. Visit alphalaval.us slash MBAA to learn more. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Philly meets November 4th and 5th at the Wyndham in Old City. District Great Plains meets November 11th and 12th at Free State Brewing in Lawrence. District Rocky Mountain meets November 12th in Glenwood Springs. District Milwaukee meets November 17th at Sunshine Brewing Company in Lake Mills. The 2023 Master Brewers Conference will be October 6th through the 8th in Seattle, Washington. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Thanks for listening to the Master Brewers podcast. Did you know that Master Brewers offers a wide range of technical resources for breweries of all sizes? Whether you're new to brewing or a seasoned expert, join our community to connect with key players in the profession and stay up to date on the latest in brewing science, technology, and operations. Become a member of Master Brewers with code BEER2022 to save 20% on your membership dues now through December 31st. United We Brew. Now back to the show. Okay. 
Okay, so talk a little bit about, you mentioned um, uh, briefly the sensitivity. Obviously, the, these methods are going to have um, different detection limits and whatnot. So, you know, are, are, these, are these various methods, I mean, can they find a needle in a haystack or, or what's the deal? Pretty close, John. Yeah. So the um, detection is um, as good as 0.19 ppm, so very, very low. Some of the lateral flow assays um, say that the detection limit is 20 ppm. Even at that level, it is very sensitive and, and really could find it if it's there. Okay. All right. So basically, you wanted to compare some of these methods and see for yourself, right? That's right. Yeah, so I got my hands on some hops from the lot in question and also some various hops and went shopping, got uh, some hazelnut um, pieces from the baking aisle and also got some hazelnut chocolate and uh, just kind of opened up the boxes from these kits and, and took a look. What's really interesting is you know, they're looking for different targets. And because of that, they have different extraction strategies. And as I mentioned, chocolate is a difficult matrix to work with. Hops are too. Um, for example, the ELISA tests um, uses allergen extraction buffer, and that's a buffer to um, liberate proteins from that difficult matrix. But hops are um, fairly dry and they swell up quite a bit. So um, I found very quickly that I had to use quite a bit more of the allergen extraction buffer. And during the extraction, it was clear that the oils and the polyphenols and hops um, were kind of gumming up the, the test. Um, whereas in contrast, the PCR test, it also needs to get a target out of the matrix. And it uses lysis buffer, alcohol, and a proteinase to release DNA from cells. Um, so they're both different extraction strategies that um, must be used with caution. It's important when you're testing a new matrix um, like we were to validate it with spiked um, samples. So I took some of the hazelnut dust and uh, spiked it into some of the different samples and was able to recover uh, the, the spike. Okay, cool. Um, so you, you, you essentially ran three different experiments here. Uh, why don't you walk us through each one? Great. The first one is I just wanted to compare the extraction method. And so I took um, pelletized hops and this was from the lot in question. The sample sizes are a little bit different. Uh, both are very, very sensitive tests, but the ELISA test calls for one gram of uh, sample. and if you're talking about uh, T90 pelletized hops, that's like a couple pellets, so quite a small sample. It points out how difficult it could be to find, you know, a true needle in a haystack if it was only a small portion of, of the run. So it's a small amount of hops, but with um, loose leaf hops, you're able to gather um, sort of a, a, a grab uh, from different run or different parts of the run and you can test it. In contrast, the PCR test only calls for one tenth of a gram. So very, very small. It's not even a full pellet. But what I did was uh, performed the extraction and um, did ELISA and PCR and um, did not uh, see anything out of the ordinary there. I was able to recover the, um, the spiked sample. Um, I also utilized um, some dark chocolate with hazelnuts. And then at Founders, we make KBS 
uh, barrel-aged beer. It's very popular. We also make a brand called KBS Hazelnut. I was really interested in KBS Hazelnut because we um, brew the beer with a flavored coffee that provides the hazelnut flavor. It does not actually include hazelnuts, but I wanted to make sure that the allergen wasn't present. So I tested that. I also spiked some of the KBS hazelnut with just a little bit of hazelnut dust, and I was hoping that I would be able to pick it up there. So I went through the the extraction and did the ELISA test and conducted the PCR test. And what was really interesting is um, we were able to recover the spiked sample, but uh, the KBS um, hazelnut and hazelnut dust spike gave a false negative on the ELISA test. I was really interested in false positives. That's what I think was going on with the third-party ELISA test with this um, lot of hops, but it was concerning that the ELISA test did not pick up the hazelnut dust spike in the KBS, whereas the PCR did. And that could be because it's a dark beer. It could have other problems similar to dark chocolate. Yeah. Okay. So these results kind of indicated to you that, hey, you know, I really want to use PCR going forward, right? That's right. Okay. All right. Well, um, why don't you give us a setup for trial number two? Sure. For the second trial, I wanted to learn a little bit more about whole leaf hops. I thought um, that could be a good test to use in the field uh, before the hops are processed further. And I took seven different lots of hops. Um, they're from a grower. They're actually a, um, an R&D or a, a group of R&D hops uh, that we were trying and rubbing. And I um, took all seven of them and I took the last sample and spiked it with a little bit of hazelnut dust. And I wanted to make it representative of a maybe a true contamination event where it was just a small amount in a large bag of hops. And then from that bag, I shook it up, mixed it around, and then took uh, the small portions that are required for the test. What was interesting is that um, in the ELISA test, it worked very well. It detected the hazelnut dust spike, um, and that was very clear. But the PCR results showed sort of a weak positive in two out of the seven unadulterated whole leaf hop samples. That was very interesting because it was a, a true signal, but it was very, very uh, late in the PCR run. I wasn't quite sure um, you know, what was going on there. I thought maybe it could be a sign of um, contamination from the hop harvesting or, or dust or something like that. Um, so I wanted to look more into that. All right. Well, then tell us how you set up trial number three. Sure. For the third trial, I wanted to take one more look at the pelletized hops in question, and I took um, some hazelnut dust, and I wanted to make sure that I could detect a very, very low concentration. In the past, I had uh, maybe used some of the hazelnut pieces, but this time I only took a cotton Q-tip swab and just ran it along the inside of the hazelnut pieces bag, and then I put that in with the pelletized hops. Um, pelletized hops, it turns out they were a little bit harder to um, extract from as a matrix. They're um, free of 
stems and and seeds. Uh, they're very dense. They may even have um, added, uh, you know, hop compounds. It can be a tough matrix. This was just one more test that I wanted to conduct to be confident that we could find it uh, if it was ever in a lot of hops. So it wasn't anything um, different from the first two trials aside from I just used a very, very low concentration. And we were able to pick it up uh, very clearly with the PCR and with the other tests too. You must have been happy about that. Yes, certainly. So what's the moral of the story here, Wade? The moral of the, moral of the story is we were grateful that our um, partner at the hop processor told us about the hazelnut that they saw. And I would say that communicating with your suppliers is is crucial. Um, allergens, although we, John, we, we don't have problems ourselves, they're a huge uh, food safety issue. And I would anticipate they're going to be um, more and more of a, a topic of conversation at conferences and on the Master Brewers podcast. In fact, I just uh, learned that there was a hazelnut beer recall in um, Europe not too long ago, just a couple weeks ago. And this was a beer that was um, labeled as a beer that was brewed with hazelnut, but it wasn't um, properly it didn't have the proper allergen warning on the label. Mm. I am following this very closely. I don't think I'm trying to find some of the bottles. Um, it's a beer that I don't think is sold here in the U.S., but I learned about it uh, through a European food recall. And I would be very interested to learn if the recall was triggered by um, a consumer that had hazelnut problems Uh by consuming that beer, or if it was just during the label inspection that they saw that hazelnuts were listed and they did not have the appropriate label. So I was um, pleased to see that um, other countries are are watching for it very closely and uh, labeling needs to be up to snuff. How do you handle that on your labels uh, for your hazelnut beer? Obviously, you said that there's there's not actually any hazelnuts in it. So do you have to do you make that clear to consumers? I, I, I guess if I have a hazelnut allergy, I'm probably just not going to go anywhere near that beer in the first place. But, you know, what do you do on the label? That's a great question, John. So on the label, there are hazelnuts pictured. It says hazelnut, but um, if you look closely, it uh, says that it uses premium coffee and chocolate notes uh, to add the, the sweetness of the nut there. So um, we don't uh, have an allergen dis disclaimer on there. Um, we don't explicitly say that it's, I don't think that we, we say anything about it being hazelnut free, but um, it says that it's made with hazelnut flavored coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, so has, uh, has any of this led to any process or protocol changes at Founders? For us, we are just going to be more mindful of the potential for tree nuts to be in hops. I was, as I was preparing for this podcast, I was thinking if we would do anything different. And I asked my colleagues here, and I don't think that we will. We'll just continue to keep the communication channels open. Um, we don't brew any beer here at Founders with um, nuts or any allergens that. Um, aren't present in our beers currently. So um, yeah, although it may be exciting to brew with hazelnuts or peanuts, we have to work with our R&D team to um, work around using 
allergens. Um, and then with the hop harvest, um, this year is over, but I think that there's some opportunities maybe in the future to take a closer look at the hazelnut harvest and how close it is to the hop harvest. And if there's any um, chance for cross-contamination, This, uh, all of these tests were done on um, food and beer. So um, hops, uh, beer, chocolate. We really didn't utilize environmental monitoring or swabbing. I think it would be really interesting to go to a hop processor um, and swab some of the conveyance or even swab the inside of the the trucks. Um, I have heard that some of the trucks, after they've harvested hops, they do drive by places where wild hazelnut trees grow, and there could be the potential for trucks to hit hazelnut trees and have the nuts fall in that way, too. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I'm just curious, did you get any um, particularly interesting questions from your Q&A at the, at the Brewing Summit that we should bring up here? One question that I did get was, did we use the hops? You know, And um, it was a really, really tough decision for us to make, but we're confident that hazelnut allergens are not present. This is um, a lot of crystal hops, and it's utilized in uh, a lot of different brews that we make here at Founders. And we decided to proceed and use these hops um, only on the hot side process. And we did a few batches of of beer with the hops and really scrutinized the test from start to finish, or the process from start to finish with testing for the allergen. And we did not find it. Um, and we're ready to test more lots that come in that may be questioned. But um, that said, I'll, I'll be very clear that we're not um, a third-party laboratory. And it's important to work with a third-party lab for any um, allergen tests. And when you select a third-party lab, it's important to make sure that they're comfortable with working with the matrix that you're sending them. Hops are um, tested for allergens um, from time to time, but it is a really difficult matrix to work with. And you've got to be confident that the third-party lab is giving you uh, the best data possible. So listeners should not send their samples to Wade. That's right. No, I'd be happy to um, to help discuss and maybe point you in the right direction. But um, we're we're here to help. I'm here to help, and I love talking about PCR and and testing. So this was just a great opportunity for me um, to to learn more and and help founders navigate this this challenge. That was Wade Bigro here on the Master Brewers podcast. Wade is one of many smart people in our industry we will probably bump into at the next Master Brewers Conference, which you should probably put on your calendar right now. That's October 6th through the 8th, 2023 in Seattle. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers Podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Yeah.